Hello everybody and welcome to the Let's All Talk Fertility podcast brought to you by The Fertility Show. For this podcast we're heading over to the Let's All Talk Fertility Lounge at The Fertility Show 2023. The show brought together some fantastic people from across the world of fertility. On our Let's All Talk Fertility stage this year some fabulous people shared their own fertility experiences while also giving help and advice to those who needed it. Before we head over to the stage, I just want to take a moment to talk about Randox Health. They've formed a range of female health and fertility blood tests designed for women at every stage of life. A great one that many of you may need to hear about now is their fertility health package. The bloods for this measure over 45 data points, which will go a long way to helping you understand your hormones and ovarian reserve better. Then there's the standalone female hormone health test, which will help you find out if a hormone imbalance could be affecting your mood, weight or energy levels. They've also got a test for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which will give you some answers so then you can get treatment. Then moving into their general tests, their menopause or every woman full body health test ranges from hormonal health to heart health to digestive health and much more besides. All these tests help a woman learn so much more about their bodies so they can act quicker. And as I always say, knowledge is power, people. So if you'd like to try out one of these female health tests, head over to Randox Health now and enter the code EVERYWOMAN at checkout to get you 10% off any test you need. But back to this episode, and today we'll be hearing from two fantastic people, Sean Greenaway, otherwise known as Knackered Knackers, and Eloise Eddington from The Ribbon Box, joined us to talk about donor conception. Both Sean and Eloise had their children using a sperm donor, and now they speak publicly about it, in the hope that they can help others. Let's head over there now. I think we should start by talking about your both, both your experiences, if you can give us a potted history on why you are now here today. Thanks, Eloise. Hi, my name's Eloise and um, my husband is infertile. He suffers from a condition called Kleinfelter syndrome, which we found out about when, in, back in 2015, uh, we were both around 30, we were trying to conceive, we thought it was really exciting and going for tests, we found out that he has azoospermia, so lack of sperm. Further tests revealed he has Kleinfelter syndrome, so he has an extra X chromosome. So straight away, we knew, we knew that we would need IVF, and he had the choice of having a, an operation known as microtessie to retrieve his sperm to see whether there was good enough quality sperm to fertilize my eggs. We decided to go and have um, IVF and his surgery in New York because there's a urologist there who has very good success rates for Kleinfelter patients specifically. Not guaranteed at all, but he had, has very good results. Anyway, we, long story short, we had IVF quite soon after the diagnosis in New York. I had not really had chance to prepare myself and I do feel that I went into IVF quite naively just thinking that I would have a lot of eggs and they'd all be great quality. I didn't know much about it at the time and my husband had his operation. It was not successful. It was a five-hour operation. It was very traumatic waiting to hear because we were told before he went under the knife that um, if it was longer than two hours it was likely that it wasn't going to have worked and they probably would have had to go into the second testicle. So we weren't that surprised when we were told that it hadn't been successful but they wanted to watch the sperm they found from the testicles overnight. We found out just before I went under for my egg retrieval the next morning because they were timed 
um, that they did find sperm, but it wasn't strong enough to fertilize eggs. So we made the decision just before I went under for my egg retrieval to use donor sperm, which we had already had shipped to our clinic in advance. So we'd already selected a donor together in advance of his operation. I had a transfer of two day three blastocysts, oh, sorry, two day three embryos. They didn't, not many were looking like they were going to make it to blastocyst stage, which really surprised me and upset me because I had thought they would given my age. Um, it was a very emotional time because my husband was also recovering from his operation and coming to the terms with the fact that he was clinically never going to have children biologically. Um, anyway, we transferred two day three embryos um, because that's what my specialist said. Given we'd flown all the way to New York, she didn't want us to go home without a transfer if nothing made it to day five. That cycle did not work. So that was my first experience of a cycle not working. So we were heartbroken because we were back to square one. Um, we had had an operation, well, my husband had an operation he was recovering from. We'd spent a lot of money doing it and we had nothing to show for it. We had two blastocysts from that cycle and we decided to go back to New York a couple of months later to try again. And I went into that frozen embryo cycle just assuming that it wouldn't work um, and had already sort of planned what, I, what we were going to do back in the UK with a potential new sperm donor if that didn't work. So we transferred two blastocysts and the cycle did work. So we ended up with our eldest daughter. When she was 11 months old, we went back to New York to retrieve more eggs, bought sperm with the sper same sperm donor, and I did a fresh transfer of two day five blastocysts that time. I had prepared a lot better for that cycle. I was a few years older, well, I was, you know, two years older, um, but I had really taken care for the three months prior to that cycle. And although I had fewer eggs retrieved, the quality of the embryos was better. So I had two embryos transferred at day five, and we had twins. So that's so my story today. So you now to have date. three children, and the interesting part about you is you're going back aren't you? Should I have said this? It's fine. So, uh, so <laughs> let's just go there. You're going That's for fine. a four. So um, our eldest daughter is six, our twins are four, and we have one frozen embryo that has been on ice in New York for five years. Finally convinced my husband that we should give it a go and go back and try. That um, poor man. <laughs> I think he lost a few sleepless nights over it. Anyway, we did that in February and um, put everything into it. I prepared a lot for this frozen embryo transfer. I now work in the fertility space, so a lot of emotions going on there, being back in that headspace again. And um, I ended up having a chemical pregnancy. So I tested negative, negative, negative. Then on test day, tested in the bathroom, left the test on the side because I assumed it would be negative again. And my eldest daughter found it in the bathroom, came running in saying, mommy, you're pregnant and then went to have HCG levels checked, and it was not going to be a, pregnant, uh, you know, a clinical pregnancy. So that ended up in a very early miscarriage. Um, I'm so, so sorry, Eloise. And that is quite recent. Yeah, that was two months ago. But we are preparing now to go back. Do you feel like going back into... Because this is always a worry, isn't it? If you've kind of stopped and you move back into that sphere and then it, do it doesn't work, do you then find yourself back on the, on the roller coaster of, right, now I really want to try again because I had envisaged a fourth child? I think the yes, no, sorry, the no, yes, no 
made that happen. If it had been a flat yeah. out no, it yeah. probably would have been easier to close that chapter there. So now you're back on yes. the road. Yeah, I get, I get that, I get that. It's been tricky for my husband to um, join me in those thoughts, but he, he's also there now as well. But this categorically will be the end. So, that will, so you're doing it one last time. Good luck. Thank you. Let's move over to Sean. Sean, thank you for being here. Now, what's interesting is that Eloise has just spoken about her husband's azoospermia, which is, this is your condition. Would you mind telling us, as a man, finding out that you had this and moving to the decision to uh, parent with donor sperm? Can you talk about that for us? Absolutely. So a lot of my story actually echoes what Eloise has shared in the... um we kind of we started trying my wife and I and and uh, just assumed it was going to happen first time like everyone does and after uh, many months of nothing happening we decided to go to the doctors because I always had in the back of my mind that when I was 22 I had mumps and uh, the crucial element of that is that it was post puberty which can be a cause of infertility so we went to the doctors and they actually referred both of us uh, for, for tests took our concerns seriously thankfully and um, it was very quickly established that I had zero sperm, um, which was a phone call which I'll quite simply never forget. I was at work, the phone rang, took it, and that news was delivered to me. Over the phone? Over the phone, and by someone who clearly had never heard the word azoospermia before, never read it, and I don't know who it was, but I can only assume that potentially a receptionist or a junior nurse or something, because she was reading out the letter and clearly hadn't read it prior to calling me. And oh, said, my God, Sean. It's, uh, she said, oh, it says here that you, um, we want to get you in for another test, but uh, because you have uh, azu, uh, azuspermia. And you knew what that meant immediately, uh, did you? <laughs> absolutely not. I, too, had never heard that word. So I said, well, what, what is that? Um, and she said, I don't know. So I got off the phone, got onto Google to find out that I have no sperm. So... You, I then had to phone my wife and deliver the news to her over the phone and then go back into work and try and act like nothing had happened. You so didn't? Oh, my God, you, Sean, this you, is awful. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, you can imagine how the rest of that day went at work. Um, so that just took us into this whole new world of, of fertility treatment and what the fertility world, all these new words. But I mentioned going back into work because I, I kept it a secret from them for, for 18 months before I opened up about that there. And... Uh, I went for a second test. The, the, the results was the same. Were the same that I had zero sperm still. So we that was um, late 2017, early 2018, and we uh, so we, we started exploring options and going for a multitude of tests. And and um, it was also established that I had a varicocele, which can cause fertility fertility issues for men in its own right, either by stopping sperm being produced at all or by seriously impacting their health. So. Early 2019, I had a varicocele embolization to try and rectify that. Uh, that didn't work. So then by the summer of 2019, I had a micro-TZ, the same as, as what your husband had. Where and my was test that painful? Uh, yes. What, <laughs> does it, what happened? Your testicles are... Cut open. So they, they, they go looking for sperm right from the source. Um, and, and like you said, Eloise, they, they said, if we find sperm quite early on, the whole procedure will take about half an hour. If we take, need to do a little bit more exploration, then it could move into the two-hour uh, kind of time Window. frame. And obviously, I, I'm under completely out of it, and I have no idea. But 
my wife who was waiting, she, she knew by the time it hit two hours that oh, she, she knew what the result was going to be. And um, with, the, uh, with the varicocele embolization, for example, so I had the operation and then had to wait three months to see if the sperm had regenerated and if it had made any impact. But with the micro the results were delivered to us straight away. As soon as I woke up from the anesthetic, the urologist and nurse broke the news that they didn't find anything. So we um, we had actually done a lot of exploration leading up to that operation about whether like alternate options should that not work because I was actually weighing up whether I wanted to have the operation at all because my experience of the of the varicocele embolization wasn't great. That was the first operation I'd ever ever had for anything, and also I I knew about some of the long-term implications of micro and I wasn't convinced I wanted to have it. In the end, I went for it, and it, it was, if not for nothing else, it was closure. Because so, I was quite, um, I, I'd come to terms with it that I could f use donor sperm prior to that operation. Oh, really? Yeah. So it, had it ever bothered you? No, I'd, for me personally, I'd, I looked at my own family background, um, and that's where I found the answers about the link between love and, and biology and a genetic link. For example, my father's, my, my grandfather on my father's side wasn't my paternal grandfather, but he was married to my nan before I was even born. So he was the only grandfather I ever knew on that side, and I loved him dearly, it, and he was everything yeah. a grandfather should be. It's exactly that. I have exactly the same experience with my my dad's father, and mm. my dad's dad died, and that he was my granddad and my favourite of the four. So. Yeah. I totally get that, and that's yeah. such a that's such a nice way of looking at it, isn't it? It only really recently occurred to me, actually. I asked my dad about his biological dad because I'd never really spoken to him about it, and it turns out he has passed away a few years ago. But I'd, the fact that I'd never thought about it, even when yeah, I was going through considering uh, using donor sperm and, and raising donor-conceived children, I'd never even thought that I've never even asked a question about my biological grandfather on his side. Yeah. So that that kind of further validated the feeling to me that love is not from DNA. And we, so soon after the micro -TZ, I did still need, I mean, when you say, did it hurt? It took me four weeks to recover from it. The first five day of, days of which I just couldn't move. Oh, mate. It was um, literally bed to sofa to toilet. And that was enough for me. And but that five days was probably the most crucial five days of my life. Because in this world, we're, we're always on the go. We're, we're just constantly attached to the world, like smartphones, etc. I did nothing for five days. I just sat there and was in my own head thinking things through. And that was the final bit I needed to, to really understand that I could move forward and, and father children that weren't genetically mine. Um, we then started going down the, the, the um, assisted conception route, like the, the kind of... The baton was handed to my wife, so to speak, and I, I then moved into the more supportive role. And um, after a few more complications and issues, nothing's ever easy, but I'm delighted to say that in February 2021, we had donor-conceived twins, Ray and Evelyn, and I would not change a single thing about what I went through because it was leading me to them. Oh, Sean. Was, you don't feel, I mean, I just don't have to say this, you don't feel any differently. No, absolutely not. I, w I just, I wouldn't, I simply wouldn't change a thing because even like having the microtesia, for example, which I was undecided about, but the few months in which it took me to decide about that, that was a delay I needed because that sperm might not have been available or the, the 
procedure, we, the, the, the cycle that we had to have them might have gone ahead or might not have. And, and so it was all, every little delay, every shortcut we might have had, it was all guiding us to, yeah. to them. I love I, that. I have no doubt about it. And, I and also, what I love about everyone on my panel over the two days that we're here in the lounge is that every one of you have used your experience to help others. And you in particular, well, I mean both of you, but particularly Sean, because you're a man, and to come out and talk about what you've been through it takes guts nowadays. So it just does. And how do you see that, that landscape changing? Thank you. Um, so I need, I was going through so much shame and embarrassment as a man. I, I couldn't find anyone, any other men talking about it. I, I was searching high and low, searching the internet, social media. And there, there were a lot of female accounts, which did help to a degree. But I just wanted to speak to another bloke who got it, who understood what I was going through, what I was feeling, that attack on my identity as a man, on my ego, which so much of it I didn't realize but when, when something's taken away, how much of my, my ego and identity was wrapped around my ability to, to reproduce, which quite frankly is nonsense. So I was suffering alone. I, I, I assumed because I couldn't find anyone else talking about it, I must be the only man this has ever happened to. I kept it a secret from work and that was unhealthy in many ways in, in shrouding appointments and tests. And I was almost had my hand forced when I had those two operations that I needed that time for recovery, so I had to open up. And that, that then made things so much easier, And because uh, I'd built it up in my head that I was just gonna be throwing myself to the wolves for banter, but of course that didn't happen. So I've just now, I just tried to be what I needed and started sharing my story, and it, it's taken me way beyond anything I ever could have imagined. Like, you know, doing things like this, it's, it's an absolute honor, and I, I'm so thankful because it helps spread the word, and, and the World Health Organization has recently said infertility will affect one in six people worldwide. And, and I'm just a lot more aware of the fact that it's more common than I ever knew when I was going through it. And, and now I'm like, right, how can I more, help more blokes and what can I do more? So I, I've, I've trained to be a coach and I'm helping people that way as well. Like kind so of you support other men going through infertility, fertility problems. Yes. Be that whether it's the female or the male issue, you yep. will talk to the man in either situation because, of course... In any situation, a man needs a lot of support in this. Absolutely, stuff. yeah, I do. I work with men who uh, it, it's the, the infertility is actually on the female side, but it's because you know it affects both of us. Yeah, we, of course. You, we we go to the appointments together. It's something that you're in it together as a partnership, but it, and it's extremely difficult whether whether you are the one faced with the infertility or not. You're still in it together. It's still the kind of the, the death of that dream of of the the family in which you envisioned and watching your friends pick the child names you had pigeoned, like pigeonholed for, for yours because you, suddenly that's gone yeah, because you're, 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 all the delays and it's just, there's so much, there's, there is so much complexity to it. Thank you, Sean. And Eloise, obviously uh, in your situation, it was your, your husband. How did he feel about you becoming quite public in this sphere? Not great at first at really? all. Really? Yeah. And how did you navigate that then? He's fine with it now and we get a lot of people messaging through Instagram and through our website, especially around donor conception, men and women. Um, and he often will say, you know, if they want to talk to me, I'm happy. Really? Yeah, because so we get a lot movement. of people coming through saying, just been diagnosed with Kleinfelters, oh, or wow. my partner's just been diagnosed with Kleinfelters. So he's happy to chat to people. We've had some friends with the same things where they come to us, obviously. Um, he just won't let me post 
anything about our children And I online. understand that, to be honest. Um, I just want to put it out there to the audience. If you have any questions for Sean or Eloise, I'll pass you over the microphone. Thank you. My whole um, microphone. I'm curious to, to understand, and maybe you haven't done this quite yet, but how do you prepare to communicate to your children, you know, where they've come from? Very and, and good the, question. The donor... Yeah. How do you do it? How do you tell children about their genetics? It's a really good question, and that's yeah. more of what we're doing at the Ribbon Box. It's not just the support to get pregnant and have a child. It's, as we've been, dis we'll, we'll discuss and have discussed before on lives, I think, it's the, par the pregnancy preparation and the parenting because it suddenly shifts from being your story and your fertility story to your child's story as well. Um, and we've started talking to our children about it since they were very young. So our eldest daughter, she's starting to understand, I mean, basic stuff. But we have some great books where we've personalized the books with photos, our own language, to show the whole story of New York. We put family into it, um, my specialist into it, all the people who have con contributed to that journey. And we, they each have their own personalized book with their names on the magic of and then their names is that a thing it can be it's there's a thing that, is it, yeah it's a thing. so what's we, that company called? that's sensitive matters sensitive so we, matters. we work or have partnerships with a lot of books that help with storytelling and personalizing that journey so if you want to come and chat about it feel free because i think I can it's point you in that direction really nice to have a prop in a situation like that and actually, the children ask. The twins are a little bit younger, but they still love it. They just love seeing pictures of themselves. They love seeing where they came from. They love hearing their name and seeing, you know, just all of the bits that came into it. And it's, for us, I, I, well, we use words like seeds rather than sperm, but you can use whatever language you want. Um, and it's a bit strange talking to them about it at this age because that's not normally a conversation you would have to a four-year-old about how babies are made. But we just wanted to start, in a way, even to prepare ourselves mentally. Well, so uh, it was easier for us to start telling the story. I think the donor even, even, Yeah, sorry, carry I on. I was just going to say, even our au pair reads the story to them at, at night. And our eldest has started reading it herself. So they love it. Even the Donor Conception Network say, if you start from, like, babe in arms, it gets you comfortable talking, telling that story. Because that can sometimes be the hurdle. Yeah, definitely. And Sean, how have you told your kids? Um, so ours are only two and a quarter, so we haven't actually started yet. But, um, but we're both, we both talk about it so much that we're completely comfortable with, with mm. how we're going to do it. And we, we, we're just like, you know, I'm here doing it. So uh, we, we've, we've got a couple of books. Um, you Were Made For Me was one of them. And um, oh, I can't remember what the other one's called, but they are based, they're, they're for child, young children to read. And because we've got twins, uh, they only had one kid in it, and, and so we actually got a, a good friend of ours who's a good artist to draw in a second, like matching all of the, the, the pictures, because we didn't want one of them to go, well, which one did you want? Like, who is that? <laughs> so, just because that's what you, in, in this, when, when you've had these complex routes to parenthood, those type of things are what you overthink, which is strange, and it's like you said, they're not normal conversations to have. Especially like with a partner, it's like, oh right, we need to get two kids in there. But so we will be, we will be early and often. Um, I, I think our daughter's probably a few months away from starting to understand a little bit, like because she's she's talking a lot more than our son, classic lad, <laughs> <laughs> classic woman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we we will be early and often. 
But it's like Eloise said, even before we elected to use donor sperm, we were making decisions based on, on any future children then because everything has to be with the best intentions for them because it becomes their story. Obviously, we were so desperate to have a family, but we didn't jump in without too much thought or, or emotional feelings about it because, and it's even simple things like sharing my story. Well, in, I had to consider that from their point of view in the future, but I just hope that they understand why I've done it. And, and I'm sure they will because it's, it was so needed. Um, and then uh, contrary to you, actually, we, we chose to share pictures of them, um, which, you know, it's all personal choice. And, mm. and I, I hope that they can understand why we've done that. But again, Evelyn loves seeing pictures of herself. So she, she's constantly at the moment asking for our phones to watch her, the videos of her. <laughs> and she gets one of her brothers, skips. But, um, so yeah, I, I'm sure they'll understand. And, but that's the nature of it, is that you really have to do it with the, the best of intentions for them down the line because it becomes their life as well. Uh, and we will support them in anything they want, whether that's if they choose to, to try and find the donor, we will help them if they want our help or if it's something they want to navigate on their own then they have our support and we're there if, if they want and need us at the end of it. Sean, is it an anonymous donor? Um, Did you do yes, it in this country? Yeah, this country, yes, it's anonymous. But Not uh, anonymous? No, it is anonymous. Well, until they're 18. Until they're 18, they can get the... Um, the, the anonymity. I think yeah. at 16, they can get very limited information and at 18, more. Yeah. So, yeah, we will fully support them with that. And, yeah, you just have to... It's, it's not an easy choice. It's not something, as I said, you can just jump into. But as I, I wouldn't change a single thing. And, and it was the right choice for us. And, and every day is, is great. Thank you, Sean. Anybody else? Thank you. You've probably just answered it, but it was, it was to do with anonymous versus non-anonymous donors. I guess, for, for, is it Eloise's? Or did, did you have the choice between anonymous and anonymous? Could, it would just be interesting to hear like, what you sort of thought of the choice. Yeah, I, the, yeah, the anonymity that. conversation is interesting. Uh, Eloise, did you go anonymous? Um, it gets a little bit complicated here. Okay. So we, we went to the States and we picked an open donor yeah. because we wanted to give our children the choice of meeting him in the future or having a, a point of contact. We sadly found out before Christmas that he's no longer alive. So that was another kind of, oh, the fertility's... Oh, my God. You know, it comes back again, yeah. So we, we tried our very best to pick a donor who was open because having worked in a space for four years, well, actually, sorry, that we picked him before I started this, but it has come to light from uh, donor-conceived individuals that um, a, a, a lot of sort of psychologists are kind of pro the open approach and talking to children from, from a young age. So we had always been united, my husband and I, in that decision. So we did our best to do that but little did we know that he is no longer alive. So we found that out last year, in December. That's uh, a shock. So we now are, t are weaving that into the story that we read them, so that they always, they're young enough for it to be part of that story rather than a sudden shock. And they're already starting to sort of relay that to themselves and say, he's in heaven, you know, that kind of thing. Life has so many twists and turns, but ultimately you both wanted to do it in a way that your children in the future would be able to track. Completely understandable. And you mentioned about the, the mental aspect of, of a fertility struggle, and I, I'm a huge advocate for that as well, because as a man, I, I, I had to deal with that as well. I had to uh, 
uh, understand that a lot of the healing would come from within and, and with myself. So I went on that journey too. And, and there were so many tools and strategies that I used to help me get through that. And But I'd say the number one thing is, is, is talking. That, that excelled my healing. And, and for the years in which I wasn't talking and I was just in my own head in, in a jumble, it's, it's like going around in a washing machine, really. And my emotions just weren't getting dealt with and weren't getting an outlet and so the moment I did start talking I really started healing and, and moving forward so that's my the biggest thing that I can ever recommend Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Let's All Talk Fertility the podcast brought to you by The Fertility Show we hope you found this session useful. Thanks again to Randox Health. And remember, if you want some money off one of their female health tests, head over to Randox Health now and enter the code EVERYWOMAN at checkout to give you 10% off any test you need. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please give us a good review and share with those who you think will benefit. But for now, thanks for being here and see you for the next one. <laughs> <laughs>